Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Well, hey, good morning, ACF. How you guys doing? Welcome to church. We're glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, uh, we just want to welcome you uh, to be part of our community here today. We're glad that you're, uh, that you're here, that you made it through the snow, and uh, that you made church uh, a priority today. And there's a lot of things you could be doing, but you're here, and uh, we are glad that you're with us. So uh, we are starting a new series called Explicit Grace today. Uh, this is going to be eight weeks. This is going to get us all the way to Easter. We'll be studying the Book of Romans, um, and I'm just stoked for this. It's, it's been months of planning for this series. Um, it's the kind of series that I think will transform a church and I think could transform our community. Um, from what we know about the book of Romans, this is uh, probably the most important of all of Paul's writings. Um, it is one of the most influential, written about, divisive books that is in this book. And so uh, we're excited to go through it. Some churches that I know have, have studied the book of Romans and have spent uh, three, four years studying this book. We're going to do eight weeks. So uh, some of you are going to be like, Brian, you missed something. I know I did. So we're going to miss a lot of things. So, so that's just all the more reason for you to open your Bibles. Uh, I want to tell you, if you uh, need a Bible, uh, there, you might see some black Bibles around the room. Um, it's the one thing we're totally cool with you stealing from church is a Bible. So uh, in fact, we'd encourage you, take a Bible with you if you want. And uh, my challenge to you is that you would open up to the book of Romans and read through it once a week. Uh, throughout this series. You should easily be able to do that just in the mornings with your cup of coffee. Get up, read the book, and uh, what's going to happen is as you come to church, you're going to be primed and ready to go. And, uh, and this is really going to, I think, help open up the conversation as you're in your life groups throughout the week and uh, hopefully create some good coffee conversations with you uh, and your friends throughout the week. And so excited about that. Good things going on in church. Uh, we announced last week, Easter weekend is going to be all at Eagle River High School. That's a big deal. We're going to do one uh, gathering for Easter, and then we're doing the egg drop this year, which we're excited about. Uh, 30,000 Easter eggs coming out of the bottom of a helicopter. It's just going to be a good time. And we also did a shout-out last week and asked you to buy Easter eggs. And I'm here this morning to tell you to stop buying Easter eggs um, because you guys totally stepped up. We've got more than we need. Um, so thank you so much for doing that. Um, now we're just gathering the candy, and we'll be doing some packing parties to get that all ready. And we are so excited excited about that weekend. We've also got opportunities to be involved with it uh, out in the lobby. We need, uh, I think, 270-something volunteers, and uh, I think almost 80 or 90 of you have already signed up for that. So just keep that momentum going. If you uh, haven't signed up yet, we pretty much need all of you to go sign up. So um, yes, I'm, I'm talking to you. If you would go be a part of that, that would be huge. Um, good stuff happening in church. You guys, last week, um, after church, just I get a, a chance to have a lot of good conversations with so many of you. And uh, one lady came up last week, I'll share, and uh, she was just saying, you know what, I hadn't been to church in a lot of years until a few months ago. 
Um, she said she had some chronic pain, back pain and stuff. And so literally, it hurts to get out of bed in the morning for her. And so she just kind of stopped going to church. And uh, just a few months ago, she started coming to ACF. And she's been a part of our community every week since then. And she told me this. This was so cool. She's like, for the first time in my life, going to church is worth the pain. Which is amazing. Isn't that amazing? Like for the first time in her life, going to church is worth the pain that it takes to get out of bed and get to church. And I just love that we're a community like that. Um, that's happening because you're doing a good job of meeting people. You are being the kind of people that are, that are saying welcome home as people come into our church and they're brand new and they feel like this is a place that they can call home. And so we are, uh, we're grateful for that and uh, grateful that, uh, that people are coming. So if you're new, we just want to say welcome and hope that uh, this feels like home for you. But uh, open up to the book of Romans if you have a Bible. You can also download the ACF Church app and follow along there. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Uh, but as I said, this is going to be a huge, huge undertaking, a huge series. Um, this book has been so influential. Um, we are still feeling the, the influence of the book of Romans from like the Protestant Reformation, um, from all kind, every, every awakening, spiritual awakening that's happened in the West has really been influenced by the book of Romans. I mean, it has changed the way that we see grace. And uh, we've called this series Explicit Grace. And we've called it that because honestly, uh, you're going to be offended by this book. I mean, if you actually sit down and read this, there's going to be some stuff in here I think that is going to challenge you. If you've never read your Bible before, you're going to struggle with how to reconcile some of these things. And as Paul, he's writing to this church in Rome, the church in Rome would have looked a lot in many ways like our church. There would have been the same type of people. And he's speaking about grace, and he's speaking about the truth and salvation. And he's going to answer, I think, a lot of questions that most of us have about salvation, about what must we do to be saved, about grace, how to, about how to live as a, as a Christian once you become a Christian. He's going to answer a lot of these major, major questions. And so to start off, what I want you to do is just kind of take an inventory of yourself and, and decide where you're at when it comes to the grace of Jesus today. Um, because I think all of us, in some way or another, have I would say, a distorted perspective of grace. In some way or another, through our upbringing, through our, maybe our time at different churches, maybe some things we don't understand about the Bible, we probably have a distorted perspective on grace in one way or another. And so I want to point out three different audiences that Paul was writing to, and you might be able to see yourself in one of these audiences. So uh, the first audience I would call the legalists. The legalists. And so the legalists, to describe them, I would use this phrase, phrase uh, the, I, I follow the rules, so God loves me. I follow the rules, so God loves me. And maybe this is you today. You are a striver and a worker. Like you know how to clean up your life. You know how to look good on the outside. Uh, you show up to church. You give money. You serve. And you have spent a lot of your life doing a lot of really good things so that you can lay your head down on a pillow at night and know that God loves you. And if that's you, I want to I wanna just say this. You are probably really tired. You probably are struggling with, uh, with, with feeling like your salvation is secure. You probably wonder sometimes when you do blow it uh, if God still loves you or if you will go to heaven. Uh, because of this, you carry a lot of weight and, and you wonder a lot of times is salvation secure? So maybe this is you today. Maybe you're like, if I'm honest, I probably fall into the legalist crowd. Um, a lot of times people who grow up in the church fall into this camp. 
because maybe you just got taught from an early age of what were the right things, what were the wrong things to do. You're like, I don't cuss, I don't drink, I don't chew, or hang out with girls that do, right? And I, I learned that from a, as I was a kid, and now I, I've stuck with it, and now Jesus thinks I'm, you know, his special little man. So that, maybe that's you today, or woman. Uh, the next group I would call the libertines. The libertines, who would say this, God loves me so the rules don't matter. Maybe this is you today, and uh, you're a little jaded, maybe, by church, by religion, and so you have swung the pendulum to the other direction, and now you are in this place where you're like, I know that God loves me. He's always loved me. My pastor always told me salvation came, you know, by grace, you know, and so I know that whatever I do, he'll always accept me back. He's kind of like the backup date on a Friday night if you're single, you know. You invite the one girl to go out, and she doesn't, she doesn't go with you, so you call this other girl that always says yes, right? And so it's like God's sort of this backup plan. You know that he'll always take you. He'll always be with you. And so maybe this is you today. And so for you, grace is a little bit cheap. Uh, For you, it just, it, it covers all of your mistakes. And so when it comes to living a holy life, it doesn't really matter. Uh, You ignore passages like, be holy for I am holy. Or maybe you just feel like, well, it doesn't really matter and you assume upon God's grace to take care of all your mistakes, and maybe you put off the change that needs to happen in your life until tomorrow, and you're always putting it off until tomorrow, and you're always putting it off, because why? God loves me, so, you know, the rules don't really matter. Or maybe you fall into this last camp I would call the spiritualists. The spiritualists. These people would say, what rules? Uh, Let's hug it out. Let's just kind of hug it out. What rules? It doesn't really matter. What Bible? Honestly, if you just believe in a God or some kind of God, that's fine. Uh, Honestly, like there are really no rules about anything. Um, Let's just have an emotional experience. Let's raise our hands and have a lot of fun at church. And then let's, let's go from one spiritual high to the next spiritual high. If this is you, you love like, like worship concerts and emotional times. Maybe you find yourself really like crying a lot when it comes comes to uh, being in church or, uh, or reading your Bible, but, but for you, maybe um, there's not a true life change happening in your life. Maybe when it comes to you, you don't really know who God is. He just fits in this really big bucket of something out there somewhere. And when it comes to the Word of God, you're like, I don't really know that, that this matters. Just believe in something. Just believe in anything. Just be spiritual. And you guys, this is a huge trend in our world today. In effort to be inclusive, an effort for us to, you know, maybe love each other more. We've said, well, let's just not land anywhere. Let's just be spiritual people and believe in something somewhere. And if that's you, once again, it's a distortion of the gospel. It's a distortion of who God really is. There is one God. There's one God, and we're seeing him, see him fully in the life of Christ. Jesus is Lord, he says. And so you have to deal with passages like that, you know, that, that he is Lord. And so maybe you fit in one of these camps today. And I want you to know this. As we read through the book of Romans, uh, Paul is going to deal with each of us in, the, in different ways. Uh, each of the distortions or caricatures of grace that we see um, in each of these, uh, these different groups. So uh, again, we call it explicit grace because I think what's in this book is explicit. It's, it's, it's offensive even. And uh, maybe you've seen this logo before. Uh, 
Does that look familiar? No, you guys are all good Christian kids growing up. You never had anything with this on it. No, I mean, for me, this was like all of my tapes. Remember cassette tapes? All of my cassette tapes had this graphic on it. I still remember my mom asking me like, hey, why is the lower right-hand corner of all of your cassette tape covers cut out? Because it was like the first thing I would do was like get the tape home and I go get the scissors and like snip out. And they're all the same, right? I don't know. That's just how they make it, mom. So um, she's probably watching this. Uh, anyway. So parental advisory, explicit content. Um, you knew when you were holding a, a CD or a tape with this graphic on it, you knew that, uh, that it was going to be offensive stuff in there, right? You knew you weren't sure who uh, you would want to hear that you were, you were listening to this or, or who would see this. And so this really, I think, describes well the book of Romans. Explicit content. A challenging content. And so for me today, I feel a little bit like um, sort of like a doctor. Like today is uh, the day of prognosis. And this is essentially how Paul starts off the book of Romans is he wants to give us all a prognosis for who we are because he knows that first we need to understand who we are so we can know how to step forward. But the first thing it takes is self-awareness. Like who are we before God? And so for me today, I feel like where we begin in this series is with me giving you a very difficult prognosis. With me saying, hey, um, how is your life? It doesn't look good. Um, in fact, it's, it's kind of a mess. In fact, um, it's probably worse than you think. And so for me today, this is a challenge. This is a hard way to start a series, but I hope that you can listen through this and that you can receive the hope that's on the other side of this. I hope that you can hear like, hey, we're a wreck, but God's grace is bigger than our mess, right? And that's what this is all about. And so there's a, there's a passage that I want to start off with. Romans 1.16 It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay, so this is Paul saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Another way of translating the word ashamed would be offended. He's like, I'm not offended by the gospel. I'm not offended by this message. I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be straight with you. And that's a great way to start. And that's a great way to be a, as a church, right? We want to be honest and straight with each other. I think maybe you've been around enough religious institutions that aren't honest and straight that you need to hear an honest and straight um, prognosis. So Paul is like, I'm going to be honest with you. And that's, that, that's how he kind of begins. Uh, maybe you've heard this story of there's, there's this Roman Catholic monk who was reading through the book of Romans and was challenged by it. And this monk, he was living the, the best life that he could possibly live. And he was struggling with it. And he hit a point in his life where he said, um, he said he had grown to hate God for first requiring of him what he could not do and then leaving him to fail. So this, this religious man had grown to hate God because he required of him these things that he could not do. He realized on his best day, it still wouldn't be good enough for God. He says this, although I was an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner, troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would satisfy him. So he laid in bed at night, and he knew that on my best day, it, it wouldn't be enough for God. And then he read this very next verse, and it changed his life. It says in Romans 1.17, this is NIV, it says, In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. So this man that had been striving and working, he was the kind of guy that was like, I follow the rules so that God loves me. 
He had been striving and working. Then he read this verse that he has a righteousness that comes by faith from beginning to end, from first into last. And this transformed his life, changed his life forever. You guys know who I'm talking about? Anybody know the guy? Martin Luther, yeah. Martin Luther was the man, the man who, who sparked the Protestant Reformation, really, uh, really, I think, shaped the way that we see the gospel today, was challenged by that passage that he would receive grace and righteousness only by faith. He realized that as, as a monk, that he wasn't going to be good enough for God which led him to this breakthrough in his life, this breakthrough of understanding the gospel for really what it is. And this is what I want to see in ACF Church. I want there to be some breakthrough that happens in your life. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know, I've been in the church forever. Um, But if I'm honest, I am one of those caricatures that we talked about earlier. I want you to experience the breakthrough that, that, that Luther and many of the other church fathers experienced that that's, would spark you to understand grace in a new way, that it would shape your daily life. So I'm going to start off by praying, and then we're going to get into why the gospel is so offensive, because that'll be fun. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace on us today. Uh, we know that in one way or another, we all fit into one of those camps that we spoke about earlier. Um, we have a tendency to, uh, to cheapen your grace. And so, Father, I, I pray that today would be a day of awakening for us, God, I pray that we could hear your word for what it is. God, that the walls would come down. If, God, if we would resist hearing this, uh, we, could, we could come before you today and just be honest and self-aware. God, that you would speak things to our heart um, that nobody maybe else in this world we've given, given authority to speak. Um, that we could hear this as truth. And uh, God, that we would know your grace in new ways today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we start off today, um, again, this is a hard way to start a series, but, but I believe that we got to start with this. I, I want to deal with a question that I think many people have either asked or been asked before. And the question is this, how could a loving God send good people to hell? Have you guys ever asked that or wondered that? Like how could, so Christians, you say that your God is loving. You say he's nothing but love, but then he sends good people to hell. What kind of God is that? Do I even want anything to do with that God. And what's going to happen as we go through this first section of Romans is Paul is going to try to answer that question because just like we have that question, the people of Rome had that question. Like, like who is this loving God and people are, you know, going to hell? What do we do with that? And what he's going to, I think, answer that question with another question, which is how do you define good? What is it that you use to define good? Because if you're anything like me, I'm just praying that God grades on a curve right? I'm just praying that I'm a little better than the person next to me, right? Just like in school, as long as my test is a little better than somebody else's, I just want to be middle of the, of the curve, somewhere in the middle, you know, not, not super Christian, you know, but, you know, not going to hell either, right? I want to be somewhere in the middle. I just, I want to par the course, God. Just let me par the course somehow. So that, I think that's, if, if you were to rank yourself on holiness, like, how holy are you? Most people, if I, if I gave, like, you know, the dif- distance between, like, Billy Graham and Adolf Hitler, you're like, yeah, let's just split the difference, right? Somewhere in the middle, that's me. Not super good, not that bad, but we're good with that, right? We're good with that. I'm, I'm pretty decent. I hope that's enough for God. 
And so then, then the next question is, well, where is the cutoff, right? Like, where does God draw the line? Like, and you'd say, well, you know, a little worse than me, right? Because we all want to believe that we're good, don't we? Like, we all want to believe that we're at least decent human beings. And, and so Paul is going to deal with that question. And, and I, was, I was wrestling with that this week. I was thinking how um, when I was in junior high school, uh, I started, started playing soccer, and my mom, she was just trying to get me to be a little more athletic. And, uh, and so she signed me up for soccer. And, and it was really good for me in that season of life because I was looking for something to, to get my, my arms wrapped around as like an identity. So soccer sort of became my identity. The problem was I wasn't that good at it. But it was enough, you know, it was, a, it was a group of people to hang out with. I had Adidas shoes and a hacky sack, right? So that made you a soccer player. Any hackers in the room? A few of you guys? That's right. So uh, play, play with a hacky sack. And so I was decent. Felt like I was decent at soccer. And then our youth group, we went on a mission trip to Mexico, kind of like Breakaway is going here in a few months. So we get to Mexico, and I realized that soccer is huge in Mexico. If you've ever been there, you know every kid, if they don't have any other personal item, they have a soccer ball, right? It, it, is, it is just what they do all day long, play soccer. And so during this trip, one of our leaders was like, hey, one of these days, we're going to spend the afternoon at a, at a Mexican prison. And we're like, that sounds like a terrible idea. And they said, no, it's going to be good. We're going to do ministry in this prison. It's going to be awesome. And so we get inside this prison, and we're eating with these guys. And, and then they said, what you're going to do now is you're going to go out and have sort of like rec time, recreational time with the prisoners out in this courtyard. So they lead us outside in this courtyard, and it's just walls on each side, uh, probably four or five stories high with an open roof. And we're down inside this, this like, you know, MMA cage, it felt like, you know, and, and we shuffle out in there. And I played soccer, a few of my other buddies played soccer, and they're like, hey, we're going to play some indoor soccer with the inmates, you know. And so I'm thinking, we're going to school these guys. It's going to be awesome. The Americans are going to show the Mexicans how to play some soccer. <laughs> it's stupid. Anyway, so we get out there. And we start playing. And here, like the first five minutes, we were schooling them. I mean, we were crushing them. We thought, we're like, we are in junior high school. These guys don't know how to play soccer. That's amazing. And so we score. And I remember they took the ball back to the middle. And I look over, and, and out of the corner of my eye, I see one of the inmates. He looks at his buddy, and he goes like this to his other buddy. And I'm like, hey, hey. I was like, what, what's this? What's going on? And his, his other buddy, he gets back and he kicks the ball at like a velocity that would take your head off. And so we all curl up like in the fetal position and these guys proceed to destroy us for the next 45 minutes. I mean, we couldn't touch the ball. And we, you know, we, we left there with our heads hanging low because we thought we were so good and they destroyed us. And, and I just, I was thinking, you know, all it takes is a moment like that to realize who you really are doesn't it? I mean, it's the same way. I don't know what you think that you're good at. Um, if you think you're good at the guitar, there's probably like a six-year-old on YouTube that's way better than you. And all it takes is two seconds and a little bit of a Google search, and you will find it's like, I guess I'm not that great. And I feel like this is exactly what it's like when we come before a holy God and we're like, I don't know, I think I'm pretty decent. And then at some point, you are confronted with the holiness of God. At some point, you look at the life of Christ and all that he was, and when you put yourself up next to Jesus Christ, I mean, there is no comparison at all. You realize how far we are from good, how far we are from holy. And I think it's important that we begin there and that we kind of descend to this place of, of feeling broken 
and needy and worthless in many ways so that we can receive our worth from Jesus. But I believe that as a church, if you don't first descend into this place of realizing I am probably a bigger wreck than I realize, my sin is probably larger than I realize, uh, my mistakes separate me greater from God than I realize, if we don't start there, then the good news is going to be sort of like meh news, right? It's like meh, I don't know, Jesus came and, and I'm pretty decent on my own and he just kind of pushed me over the edge and, and you know, got me into heaven. Maybe that's you today, and it's like when you talk about the gospel, which simply means the good news, you think, meh, meh, it's, it's all right, which is exactly where these people in Rome were at. And so Paul brings this crazy message, this crazy message that nothing that you do could ever make you acceptable to God, which would have been heresy to these people. I mean, they would have want to run him out of town because the belief was if you tell the Christians that, if you tell them that salvation is by grace alone and nothing they do can make them acceptable to God, it's going to be anarchy. They're just going to give up. They're just going to be like, well, we don't need to do anything then. We're just going to trample all over the grace of God. If, if, if nothing I do really makes me acceptable to God, what's it all matter? And so what you're going to find, he's going to give answers to all of this as we go through the book of Romans. And if that's you today, I want you to know that uh, more is coming. Come back for this. Well, let's start off with this question. Why is the gospel so offensive? Uh, what makes it offensive? Let's read in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that, we, or that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and, foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so if you have a pen, I want you to write this down. Uh, the gospel is offensive because it tells us that the truth isn't hidden, it's suppressed. The truth isn't hidden from you, it's suppressed by you. This is offensive, right? This is hard to receive. We, we, we all make excuses, don't we? Uh, maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like, well, God, if you would just do a miracle that I could see, then I believe in you. Well, God, if you would work in this way, then I would trust you. But Paul is saying, I don't know what your excuse is. If you're like, well, God just, he's playing hide and seek from me. He's not showing himself to me. He's saying, no, God has shown himself to you since the day you were born. God is revealed in everything that you see, in all that you have. There is no excuse for us not to believe. Uh, the, the writer C.S. Lewis talks about this. He, he essentially says that if you don't want to believe, doubters will always have an excuse for a miracle. If you don't want to believe, you will always have an excuse for a miracle. You will always find a way to write it off if you don't want to believe in God. But if you do, you will find God. If you seek him and you search him out, he will show himself to you. He's saying, you've got no excuse. This is hard to receive. This is offensive. No, I want, I want God to do something bigger. I want him to show up in some way that I haven't seen before, you know? And God's like, I have been. Just look around. I am everywhere you look. Essentially, he's right in front of you. It, it, it's like if you've ever done this before, you've been searching for your car keys for like an hour, and then you reach your hand in your pocket, and you're like, oh, 
They were there the whole time, right? That's kind of what, what it feels like he's saying. He's like, you know what? There's this moment that finally you come to God on his terms and you're like, okay, God, I am here to see you for who you are. Just show yourself to me. And then you see he was there the whole time, right in front of you. He makes a statement about giving thanks. He says, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And you might read that and be like, oh, so God wants me to say grace before a meal or like wake up in the morning and say my daily prayers. It's good. It's a good start. But what he's actually talking about is actually giving God credit for the things that we see. In other words, not plagiarizing God and saying, well, I think that I've built my life on my own back. Or I think that all of this just sort of happened because of the universe. You know, the universe made all of this happen. Essentially giving the credit that is due to God to something else. He's saying that's what these people did. That's what we do. Is what could be given to God, we give to other things. We lack the ability to acknowledge that God is the creator. He is in front of all of us. So, offended yet? Let's keep going. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So Paul's calling us fools. It's a good way to start. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man in birds and animals and creeping things. Okay, so second, second reason the gospel is offensive is it tells us that we worship created gods. Like we're just making up our own gods. He's talking about how people exchange the glory of the immortal God for the things that are around us. Essentially worshiping the, the creation rather than the creator, right? Which, which is our tendency, and I've said this before, we all were built to worship. You were created to worship. And so the question is never, will you worship? It's always, what will you be worshiping? So what are you worshiping? Are you worshiping created gods? Are you worshiping your success or your future or your financial situation or your kids or your job? Whatever it is, the house, the car, Whatever it may be, are you, what is it that you're worshiping? And he says, that's what they do. They, they claim to be wise. Like, no, I got life, life, you know, I got it figured out. They claim to be wise, but they're actually being fools and not giving thanks to God for who he is. So I don't know what you worship. I was thinking, how do we find that out? If you're here today and you don't know what you're worshiping, I would give you, I'll give you a little test. Like, here, here's a test for you. If you want to figure out what you're worshiping, Find out what it is that gives you the most fear and what it is that gives you the most hope and you will find what you worship. Like what is it that gives you fear? What is it that gives you hope? And you'll find what it is that you are giving the most authority in your life. What is it that, that, that your prayers are surrounding? And you'll often find that's the thing that I'm worshiping. That's the thing that I've given a little higher space of authority in my life than God. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and thought they didn't need God, thought they could do it themselves. Is that you today? If you thought you can do it on your own. Romans 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Again, he's coming back to our brokenness and our sinfulness, and he's like, hey, if you know how broken you are, who are you to judge another broken human being? Who are you to pass judgment? Why? Because you do the same things. You are just as guilty as those who you call guilty. Verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. In other words, both of us. 
all of us, the person you judge and the person that you are. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Like if I can just, just, you know, make people feel bad that are around me and elevate myself, if I can just convince myself that I'm better than the person next to me, do I think that I'm going to escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Come on, what? Repentance. Repentance. Do you presume on the kindness and forbearance of God? That's a, that's a great question, right? Do you presume? On, I just think about like in my, in my marriage, I think at home, like the things that I presume on my wife's kindness, right? How often do I just like, you know, leave the bedroom a mess or not put stuff away and I just assume she'll take care of that, right? She's my wife. She always has. I mean, how many of us do that? He's really challenging us who cheapen the grace of God by saying, you know, he loves me. He'll always be there, right? It's just the same thing as, you know, when we, when we take advantage of our spouses or of a friend, like, ah, oh, they don't, you know, he doesn't need me to pay him back. <laughs> you know, he'll be good. He's been my buddy my whole life. He'll never leave me. Do you presume on the kindness and forbearance and patience of God? Not knowing, this is so key, that his kindness was meant to lead you to repentance. His kindness should leave us, lead us to a different life. Repentance is simply to rethink the way that you live, to, to see things differently, that the kindness of God should transform the way that we see our lives and actually cause us to live a different lifestyle that honors him. Is God's kindness that good? It's not if you think that you're pretty awesome. This is the distortion of the gospel. If you start off by feeling like, I don't know, I'm somewhere between, you know, this really good person and this terrible person. I've kind of got my way halfway to salvation. I mean, Jesus just needs to do a little bit to get me over the edge. If this is you today, then again, the goodness of God is kind of, I don't know, cheapened. It's weakened. It's not that great. He says his kindness, it's so good that it leads you to totally rethink the way that you view everything in your life your future, your past, your relationships, your job, your kids, everything from top to bottom changes. Next thing I want you to write down, the, the, the gospel is offensive because it tells us that we are so wicked that only the death of God could save us. We are so wicked only, the, have you ever thought about that? It's like you hear things like, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins. And, you know, have you, Jesus is God himself. He is, he is God incarnate. And that's what it took to pay for you and me. So when you go off judging somebody and thinking that you're better than them, just remember that it took God dying to save you. Right? I mean, nothing levels the playing field like that. Paul is trying, he's like, hey, we are all in the same boat, you know? I mean, you're kind of rowing up the stream, you know, in a boat made of your own righteousness, and it's just leaking, you know, pools of water. And you're like, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. I'm good, you know. And he's like, no, you are sinking. You have nothing. He wants to level the playing field and say, you know what? It took God to save you. There was no other sacrifice that would be enough. That's how terrible our sin is. Anybody excited about that? I mean, it's just like, 
Somebody invited their friend for the first time today, and you're like, man, I should have picked a different week. The, the good news is it doesn't end there, right? It doesn't end there. We keep going. The book of Romans, is, it's, it's a beautiful story of God's unmerited grace poured out on hopeless sinners. That's why it's so offensive. That's why it's so challenging is because you will never get this if you think that you've earned anything in the eyes of God gospel tells us that we're so wicked that only the death of God could save us. This offends like the, the morally good, the religious, people who think I've got a leg up on somebody else because I, you know, give a few bucks to the church or, you know, because I've got, you know, the right family or the right background. This levels the playing field and says that we are all in this together, in the same boat. Verse 5 says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, it's telling us we have hard hearts. You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. Fourth reason I think the gospel is offensive is it tells us that our decisions have unshakable consequences. Our decisions have unshakable consequences. This, this is hard to hear, isn't it? Now, I've made some mistakes in my life and... Um, if you're anything like me, I, I kind of believe, uh, I think in my heart, that time heals all wounds, right? I mean, over time, you start to feel better. I mean, can you think of something that you went through, a decision that you made, a moment that you knew that was just messed up, what I did there? And in the moment, you were broken and torn up about it, but give it a week, in a month, and a year later, and you think, eh, I don't know, like I'm good now, right? I mean, kind of the, the, the searing pain of that mistake it diminishes, doesn't it? But what, what Paul is saying here is that although we might not feel our sin anymore, our brokenness anymore, actually our decisions have unshakable consequences. They never go away. Like, like you might feel better, but we need salvation as much today as we did the moment after we made that decision. And, and, and he's not trying to help us to, to walk through life feeling the shame of every decision. He's showing you that in Jesus there is no shame, but you won't value that peace and that hope if you don't go back to that place and realize, hey, it's, I am in deep need of being saved. He says we're storing up wrath for ourselves. That's pretty intense. I just had this image, if you've ever been to the Hoover Dam or, or any like large structure like that holding back water, I had this image of this huge, huge wall of concrete storing up billions of gallons of water on the other side. You just think of like all the pressure that's being put on that wall and, and what would happen, the energy that would come from that wall if there was a crack and it were to come apart and the water were to come through. It's just amazing. And that's the image that I had as he's talking about that, as we make decisions. It's like we are storing up wrath from God. God is, he is, he is just. And the wrath of God will go somewhere. How do you feel about Jesus? I think when you get this, man, you will see Jesus totally differently. I think when you get this, you'll think, how could I have ever trampled on his grace? I think when you get this, it's going to change your life. Let me read this last verse. 
verse 7 says, To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. That's what we deserve. We deserve wrath and fury. The fifth reason the gospel is offensive is it tells us that salvation comes from servanthood and not conquest. It doesn't come by making yourself bigger or greater. You don't come before God and show him your credentials of why you deserve to get in the gate. It comes by becoming nothing. And Jesus, if you listen to his words, he says this. He says, if you want to be great in heaven, you know what you need to do? Be the least here. Be the least. Be the worst of sinners. When you know that you're the worst, as Paul calls himself the worst of sinners, God's grace is amplified in your life. And we talk about this as a church a lot. We say we're here to amplify the grace of Jesus to the churched and the unchurched and the dechurched. And I think the only way to amplify it is to show how little we deserve it. So where are you at today? Do you deserve it? I think if you're here today and in any small way you feel like you deserve eternity with God, you've missed the gospel. And so as a baseline to start this series, I am asking you just to consider how broken you are apart from Jesus. And I know that's not fun. I know that digs up old wounds and new wounds. But I believe that descending into that place of hopelessness apart from Christ is how you receive hope from Christ. And so here's, here's my heart for you today is that you could just receive from God. I mean, it's as simple as coming to God with open hands and saying, I don't know what to do. Not coming to him with all that you've done and all that you plan to do, not making promises that you can't keep. The gospel is such that you would come to God with nothing and that he would embrace you and say, I impute upon you an unrighteous sinner. I impute upon you the righteousness of Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your grace. Forgive us for diminishing how good it is. Forgive us for giving ourselves credit for what is rightfully yours. We're such a needy people and a broken people. God, I pray we could feel that today. But God, I want to pray for the person here today who's never truly just received from you. They've been striving and working, hoping they've been good enough, God, that we could set aside our credentials and realize that only by Christ can we be saved. So if that's you today, I just want to pray that you would receive from him. That you would know that your salvation is secure because you didn't do anything to earn it. And maybe today would be the day that you'd receive that. If you just want to pray this with me, Jesus, I receive your grace for the first time. I am done trying to work for it and I know my best of days aren't enough. So as, as was said earlier, God, I just come before you with nothing and I want to receive your righteousness from faith beginning to end simply by putting my trust in what's already been accomplished for me on the cross. I receive that from you, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen.
Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.